Wes gave me a, he gave me a great, I can't believe he gave me the text that he gave me to, to preach on today. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, every text is great, don't get me wrong, but then there are some texts that are just extra special, and today's is one of those, and, and I can't believe he is allowing me to teach through it. It's, um, it's very, 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 very gracious. It's kind of like, you know, Led Zeppelin letting somebody else sing Stairway to Heaven or something like that. It's just sort of unbelievable. That's a terrible analogy, but I was actually thinking about it. I didn't come prepared to say that. I was thinking about it in the pew, and so, so thank, you, thank you, Wes, for letting me sing Stairway to Heaven today. It's Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6. I invite you to stand as I read the text. Um, if you don't have a Bible uh, with you, you don't have a Bible app on your phone, there are Bibles in front of you. We're on page 825, which is where you will find Ephesians 1. We're reading out of the NIV translation. Paul, the writer, he begins in verse 3 by writing, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is the word of God. You can go ahead and grab a seat. I know we've prayed a couple of times already, but I, I want to pray once again as we go into this text. It is, as I have said, a precious, precious te uh, text. It's, I, I always, or most often, I would be lying if I said always, but most often I, I enjoy my sermon prep, um, but this week, in all sincerity, it's been extra special. Um, I, I love this text. It's a precious text, as I've said. It's full of treasures, and my, my prayer is not only that I don't blow it in walking through it, um, but most of all, that the Holy Spirit either draws you closer to Him or draws you to Him for the first time as you, as you hear the wonders, and, and they're nothing, nothing less than that, the wonders that are ours in Christ. And so let me pray to that end, and then, then we'll start walking through these four verses. Father, please, by way of Your Spirit, please. Draw us to yourself. Um, if we know you, then closer to you. If we don't, to you th for the first time. Um, and, and as we do, and as we hear the things that Paul, under the inspiration, full inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has written here, I pray that if we know these things, but we become indifferent to them, that they would find good and soft soil again. And if we're hearing these things for the first time, that we would prove to be good soil, and that the enemy would have no work and effect, being able to snatch this precious, precious revelation that is ours through these words uh, that you have given us. Snatch it away from them. I pray against that. I just pray for a great few minutes of ministry uh, where you're glorified, that you'd be glorified in this church today and that we would be furthered along um, and, and walk out of here with great joy and assurance. And I pray for these things in, G in Jesus' great name. Amen. If you've ever preached a sermon, and I know not many have, so let me extend the illustration. If, if you've ever preached a sermon or perhaps led a, a Bible study or maybe taught a Sunday school class, or, or maybe you've just sat down with the Bible and you've opened it up and you've chosen a, a passage and you've studied it, perhaps one of the things that you've, you've wrestled with or struggled with is the application of it. 
You, you go into a text, you read through it, you lay it out, you see what's in it, but as you leave in it, you wonder, what's, what's this here, what I'm reading? What is it for me? What am I to do with it? Well, if you, if you do struggle with, here's one very simple piece of advice, and, and, and we all do struggle at times, at least. If the passage you're studying has an instruction in it, and it may have more than one, then go with it. There's your simple piece of advice. If God in his word gives you an instruction, then there's a good chance that you found your application. Now, I understand you have to take context, and you have to understand genre and all of that, but most often when we read something in the Bible uh, and God has given it to us as we believe, then, then go with it. Again, we found our application. Why do I begin this way? Well, simply because our text has one, one instruction, just one. And I hope you picked it up when we read it, but if you didn't, it's actually the first word. It starts our text, and that word is praise. That's it. There's our instruction. Paul instructs us to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's our application. We are to be people of God that praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's our instruction. There's our application. Just one, very easy. But here's the question that we're going to wrestle with for the rest of our time this morning. Why? Why are we to be a people who, who praise God? That's what we're going to spend our time answering today. Paul gives us, if you like taking notes, he gives us four reasons why. One per verse. It's a very easy outline. The first reason why is seen in verse 3. We are to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because, number one, he blessed us. He has blessed us. If you look in verse 3, he has blessed us, Paul writes there, in the heavenly realm which is a favorite expression of Paul that you will see as you continue this series and go through the book of Ephesians. For example, in chapter 3, verse 10, he writes that the manifold wisdom of God is to be made known through the church to the authorities, and here it is, in the heavenly realms. And then when you get to chapter 6, verse 12, and you can find it there if you hang it right in your Bibles, he adds that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So there it is again. What are these? In, in other words, what are these heavenly realms? Well, this is the realm on the other side. This, this is the spiritual realm, in other words. This is the realm that we don't see now, but is just as real as the world in which we live today. Uh, if you were here last, uh, when I was here a couple of months ago, I had the honor of walking through a text in Colossians 3. And in verse 3 of Colossians 3, we read that we have died, if you remember this and you were awake, we have died and our life is now hidden, hear this, our life, we have died, but we have life, we died, we, li we have life, kind of a strange paradox, but we've died, we have life, but it's now hidden with Christ in God. Now, I made the point then that there is a new you, what Paul is telling us coming out of texts like that in Colossians 3, that there is a, a new you, now hidden. Now hidden, but entirely real. A new you, hidden, but entirely real and secure as citizens of God's people. Or, if you like to use language of our text, citizens of God's realm. And although people here don't see that new you, the heavenly realms do. The, the powers and the principalities on both sides, the good and the evil, see that new you. They see that. If you're in Christ, just to make it very clear, 
And, and more on that idea of being in Christ, I'll, I'll come back to that, just chamber that for now. But if you are in Christ, you have been blessed in that realm. And, and what has happened by way of God's blessing, hear this, links us to that realm today. Meaning, as one writes, the gracious gifts, just please hear this, the gracious gifts coming by way of God through Jesus are not simply future blessings, but are, at, but are a present reality for us since they have already been won for us by God's saving action in Christ. In other words, what this author is saying, but more importantly, what Paul is writing here to us is that the link goes both ways. We are linked to the heavenlies now, and the heavenlies are linked to us as a result of this blessing. And what are we blessed with? Just look back at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, every one of them, which Paul, in part at least, and, and if you've never studied the book of Ephesians and you're part of this ministry, you have this great joy laying ahead of you for the next seven years as you go through this study, this, this sweet outlaying, because the, the greatness about Ephesians, six chapters divided in half, and the first three chapters, what Paul essentially does is he just lays out these spiritual blessings, at least in part, those things that are realized for those who are in Christ, that we have been redeemed and and forgiven, and we've been secured and loved, and we've been brought near, and we've been reconciled, and so on. And we'll see some more of those as we continue on in our text. But before we do, and we've seen some great things already, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms, we're linked to the heavenly realms, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. The question, and again, I've touched upon it already, but how is it that these blessings are ours? How is it? Well, they are ours, Paul writes, in Christ. Really important phrase, in Christ, in him. There are about 365 references to in Christ, in him, one for every day of the year in the New Testament text. So Paul writes that these blessings are ours in Christ, meaning these blessings come to those who are in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ and he in you. And if that is you, then every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms are, are yours in him. But then the question is, what does that mean? What, what, what does that mean when I, when I talk about this being in him idea? Well, when you hear in Christ, think union. Think incorporation. Think being fused. Think being baptized into. Think being immersed in Jesus and Jesus being immersed in you. Think that. And therefore, and there are so many things that I, I want to make sure that you, you glean out of this text. But if you are in Christ, these blessings aren't yours simply because God gave them to you through the work of Jesus, but gave them to you because you are united with Jesus. Who exists in the heavenly realms. We are, as I said before, linked to the heavenlies, and the heavenlies are linked to us in Christ. And therefore, everything that is in Christ is in you. Everything. 
just go to chapter 2, verse 6. So, so linked to Christ are we that Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 2 that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, there's our word again, our phrase, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Did you hear what Paul said there? More importantly, did you hear how Paul said it? Our union with Christ is so fused that Paul writes of it as in present tense language. Just notice it, verse 6. God raises up, not God will raise us up, God raises us up. We're raised up and we're seated with him in the heavenly realms right now. Why? Because we're in Christ. Right? Because we're in Christ. Which is why Jesus can say to his disciples in John 14, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father, in my Father, and you in me, and I am in you. David Mathis, he's an author, uh, I, I believe he's currently the president, president of Desiring God. He, he speaks of the benefits of this, just one benefit of this when writing, that we can draw near to the Father in prayer because the risen Jesus has drawn near to him in person. And where are we? We're in him. should change your prayer life. So we are called to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But there's more. A second reason why is because he chose us. In fact, the way the wording works here in the NIV, I think, is, is, is really good because it, it makes plain what I, I believe Paul's intention was in, in the original language, not that I'm an expert in the, in the original language, but the, but the way it reads, and, and I believe this is correct, is, is that God has blessed us because he chose us. Or if you like, he chose us to bless us. He chose us to bless us. But please don't miss, as you look at verse 4, he chose us, there's our phrase again, in Christ. He, he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, which, which tells us first that the work of Christ had always been part of the plan of God. That, that you and I being in Christ wasn't a plan drawn up in response to the fall in the garden, but the plan before there was a garden to fall in. Which is a great line, by the way. That's a great line. When I wrote that down, I gave myself a pat in the back. That's a great line. But it's true. What makes it really? It's true. It's great because it's true. Christ has always been the plan of God before the creation of the world. We in Christ, the work of Christ in us, always been the plan, always been the plan. But it also reveals wonderfully that God did not choose us based on merit earned. He chose us when? Before the creation of the world. And therefore, he chose us before having had the chance to do anything merit earning. And nor then did he choose us, as some suggest, and this is popular in the church today, by looking down the, the line and basing his choosing on something that he saw us do in the future. 
Just think about it. If God shows us based on something he saw us do in the future, whatever that something was, even an expression of faith, then we would have have been saved by a work that God responded to, which Paul rejects in the very next chapter. In fact, we read it earlier today when when writing in, in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 that it is by grace that we have been saved, not by works, past works or future works. We're not saved by works so that no one can boast. And besides, just think about it, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, any work you and I, any good work that you and I walk in has been prepared beforehand for us to walk in it. See, here's the wonder of God. He prepares the good works that we walk in and rewards us for them. That's grace. That is grace. Now, I realize when I talk about the choosing activity of God that there comes questions connected to it, good questions, appropriate questions, questions that should be wrestled with, and I'm probably going to frustrate some of you today, but for our time today, can we be okay with simply satisfying ourselves with the gracious assurance of this? We did nothing to move God's hand towards us. He chose us. That we were in the mind of God before God declared, let there be light. He, he, he knew our name. And, and he chose us. You and I were chosen without merit. And therefore, please hear this as well. There is nothing we can do to unmerit his choosing. Nothing. How can you and I unmerit something we didn't merit in the first place? Nothing can separate us from the sweet assurance of being chosen in Christ. What What assuring grace. What assuring grace. He chose us with nothing on the resume. Nothing. And furthermore, He chose us knowing full well that we would all be, for a time at least, enemies of the cross, and he still chose us. He he didn't choose us because of something good he saw. He chose us in spite of the enmity that we had. He chose us. Say it again, what grace. What grace. Few things should lead to the praise of God more than the gracious choosing activity of God. Again, I know there's a wrestle with this, a good wrestle, good questions. What about our, what about our will? What about, what about the freedom that we have, et cetera, et cetera? Wes is going to answer all those questions for you in the weeks ahead. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. But in all, again, in all seriousness, have this lead you to him. There is nothing in us outside of Christ that wants God. Nothing. Nothing. The fact of the matter is, and I'll touch upon this, outside of a relationship with Jesus, we don't have a will that will ever choose God. 
ever, left to our own devices. Why? Because we're dead in our sin. Dead people choose nothing. The only hope we have is for Jesus to do to us what he did to Lazarus when he was in the grave and call us out by name. And, and this fact should lead to praise and worship and awe and wonder and thanks. But with the choosing of God comes a responsibility. If you go back to verse 4, we were chosen, Paul adds, to be holy and blameless in his sight, which reveals at the very least that God has chosen us with a purpose in mind. And what is the purpose? Here's the purpose, and it's so great. What is the purpose of God for our choosing? His purpose for us is our perfection. That's why he chose us. The purpose of God is that one day we will be a people who will stand before him without spot or blemish. That's his purpose for us. Like, what a purpose, man. Without spot or blemish, perfect and complete, holy and blameless in his sight. That's his purpose. That's what our groom is wanting to do with his bride. That's his purpose. Uh, in a text that will be on the screen behind me, Paul writes in Colossians 1, that God has reconciled you and me by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, blameless. So that's why he's drawn you near. That's why he's reconciled you. He adds in a text not on the screen in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he will also keep you firm to the end. Why? So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What will that blameless, blamelessness and perfection and holiness look like? Well, John answers, again on the screen behind me when writing in 1 John 3, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's what we'll look like. That's why we were chosen. For, for that reason. It's one, wondrous. Paul adds in Romans 8.29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Again, that's his purpose. And if that's his purpose for us, what is to be our purpose as we live on today. In other words, what's, what's the purpose behind my life? What's the purpose behind my life now that I'm a follower of Jesus? Well, you, the purpose for your life and all, my life, all of our lives, is to join him in it. To join him in this process. That the present day call for for those in Christ, is to pursue today being the person of God that they will one day be. That's your purpose in life. To pursue today to be the person that one day you will be, or to put it another way, be who you are in Christ today, not who you once were. Beginning today, that's the purpose for your life. Join him in the process. As God works in, you work out. As Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
But, but here's another question that I want to presume that some of you have. What, what does it mean, norm? What does it mean, mean to be holy and blameless? That's quite the task. Holy and blameless on this side of heaven. What does it mean? For some, as they read that, there are two extremes that people have when they read this call to be holy and blameless. One is, well, I'm out, right? All right, I guess that has nothing to do with me. I'm a big failure. There's no way I can, I can't even get out of bed without being blamed for something, right? So I'm not holy. Then there's the other side, the other extreme that says, this is referring to a day in the future, This will be what we will one day be when we see Jesus face to face. Well, the fact of the matter is there's truth in both camps. On on this side of heaven, we won't reach pure holiness and blamelessness. Blamelessness. That's too many nesses. We won't reach it. And it is true that one day we will be like Christ when we see him face to face. So both extremes are correct. However, there's something in the middle for us. Yes, we won't be that, and, and, and yes, we won't be that either. But what it does mean is that in the meantime, we are to be people who seek the kingdom of God above all else here, and we live righteously, meaning we live according to the ways that God has us to live, which means what? It means we have a single-mindedness of heart today, a heart that is for Jesus first, where our love for him makes all other loves pale in comparison. It means that he is our treasure and prize. It means we pursue him above all else, which which doesn't mean that we won't be tempted with other pursuits, but that when we are, we return to him. And it doesn't mean that we will reach a, a state of sinlessness here either, but it does mean that we set ourselves apart. That's what holiness means. Holiness means that we, yes, we live here, but we're set apart from here. We live in here, we're in, but we're not of. We're different. We do life differently. We're set apart. So it means we set ourselves apart and that our consciences are clear and our hearts are sincere and that when we choose to sin and choose our glory above his, we repent of it and we turn from it and not make excuses for it. That's what it means. It means we join Paul, who summed up his single-mindedness this way in Philippians 3, and again, you can read this behind me, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. That's our text. He's made me his own. I'm him, in him, he in In me, brothers, sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, remember that phrase, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the call, goal, excuse me, for the prize and upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, why did I have you hold on to that phrase, the one thing I do? Well, because when you think about Paul's life, he did a lot of things, right? Planted churches, wrote letters in the Bible. Uh, He didn't know what was going in, but it was going in, right? He discipled people, traveled, got thrown into prison a lot. He did a lot of things. So why does he say he does one thing? He was a busy guy because he had learned something. And what he had learned and what we need to learn also is that God only ultimately calls us to one thing. And that one thing God ultimately calls us to is to bring him glory, and in that we become more like Christ. So yes, you and I are busy. 
I'm less busy now than I used to be, but we're all busy to some degree, right? We're parents, we're spouses, we got jobs, we're bosses, we got businesses, we're, we're going to school, all of that. Lots of things on the calendar. Actually, only one. In whatever you do, whatever those things are, your goal is to bring God glory. That's all God wants you to do. So he wants you to keep your job and go to school and be a mom, dad, spouse, student, whatever. He wants you to do it all. But every day you wake up, you go, I'm bringing God glory in this. This is the one thing I do. That's it. That's the one thing. Whether we eat or drink, or whatever we do, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, do it all to the glory of God. That's the one thing. So praise God for he blessed us. And praise God because he chose us. And third, praise God because he predestined us. Verse 5, in love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Are you hearing what's going on? In, in verse 5, this, this further revelation of verse 5. What, what verse 5 means is you meditate, it, meditate upon it, think, think about it. It means that God did not choose us simply to be on his team. He chose us to be his children. God looked down the annals of time before time existed and predetermined that we would become children of God. Again, not a hired hand, not a worker in the field, not even an angel in heaven, but a child of God. If your mind goes to the, the parable of the prodigal, where the prodigal comes home and goes, hey, Dad, I'll be a worker. And the father says, no. Kill the calf. Put the ring on. Robe on. It's party time. My son has come home. It's wonderful. But how, how did it come to be that we became a child of God? Well, the answer is we were adopted into his family. But not simply adopted. Please notice the language. We are adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ. This, this reference to sonship shouldn't lead to a cry of gender, gender language inclusivity here. There, there are places for that in the Bible, but this is not one of them. Why is that? Well, the phrase, and you can probably see this in the margins of your Bible, so I'm not doing any hard work here, but the phrase adopted to sonship is actually one word in the Greek, just one. Adopted to sonship, one word in the Greek, it's a legal term that, that spoke of the adoption of a male heir who was given full legal standing in the family they were adopted into. Full rights, full privileges in that family. That's the language Paul is using here. So, so what Paul is saying is, God adopted you, predestined you for that. For that. 
That, that type of adoption, which is why Paul writes, again, going back to Romans 8, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. And then he says this, co-heirs with Christ. I, I borrow much of the following from some reading I did this week, but, it, but earthly adoption has so many parallels to our heavenly adoption in Christ. For example... And I'll go through these rather quickly. First of all, there are legal requirements to earthly adoption. But so too with our heavenly one. Again, going to the writings of Paul, this time in Colossians 2. And and one more time, you can read this behind me. Paul writes in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with, and there's our phrase, it's legal demand. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So there is a legal requirement connected to adoption, but there is also a cost to earthly adoption, money, right? Money, time, comfort, travel, etc. There is a cost to ours as well. Jesus came. Jesus gave up what was rightfully his. And he purchased us by his own very blood. So there's a cost. Additionally, when a child is adopted, there is an embrace and welcome to the family, for some, the very first embrace they will ever receive. We too are embraced and welcomed to the family of God. In Galatians 4, one more time on the screen behind me, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive, there again is our phrase, adoption to sonship, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. There's our welcome. There's our embrace. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And it's at this sweet point where we move in our text from praising the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to praising our God and Father, enabling us to pray our Father, who art in heaven. Tied to these, tied to this, excuse me, there are also rights that come with our adoption. Uh, From an adoption website, I I take the following. Under adopted law today, child, under adopted child inheritance law today, adoptees have the same legal right to their adoptive parents' inheritance and assets as natural slash biological children. And as I read earlier, as spiritual adoptees, we are now co-heirs with Christ with full rights and privileges. Full rights, full privileges. And just so you know, according to Hebrews 2, verse 11, our Jesus, our brother Jesus, is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Fifth, adoption is planned. Sometimes adoption here is years in the making. When did God start planning our adoption? Before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world. And last, 
Adoption often takes us away, takes children away, excuse me, from very bad situations. Some horrific, abusive, neglectful, and hopeless situations. Again, so to us. Speaking of Israel, God says, it was out of Egypt that I called my son meaning out of slavery, in bondage, under the rule of a, a tyrannical ruler. That's our story too. Our adoption called us out of Egypt, so to speak. Out of bondage, in cruelty, in tyranny, to a place of full inheritance as sons of God. And, and, and why? Why is this ours? Because of Christ. It's through Christ, adopted to sonship through Christ. He, the natural son, we adopted into his family. And, and done, look at verse 5 one more time, done in accordance with God's pleasure and will. God delights in this. He delights in this. So blessed chosen, predestined, and finally, we praise our God and Father for he has freely given us, as we see in verse 6, freely given us what? Glorious grace. Not just grace. Not, not just amazing grace even. Gl glorious grace. Grace, in other words, that depicts the glory of God. Glory big word, simply speaks of who God is and what he's done. It talks about the sort of the weight of God. So what depicts God? Well, in part, what depicts God is his grace. God is a lot of things, but he is, he is certainly grace, and his grace is glorious, and that glorious grace is freely given to us. There's no cost to us. We are invited to come and eat and drink without a cover charge or a bill coming to, the, to us at the end. No, no payment for us. None. But a high price for the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No cost to us. But cost was paid. Our grace purchased by the Son the Father loves. If you remember what the Father declared of the Son at his baptism, this is my beloved Son of whom I am well pleased. And that beloved one came. Jesus came. In fact, he was sent in love by the Father, and paid the ransom that was ours by way of our sin and self-glory. No cost to us. No, no, ransom, no, no ransom anymore. Paid in full, nothing else to do, nothing we could ever do, in fact. All of this, all of this, all of this blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, chosen in Christ before the creation of the world, and finally, with this adoption into sonship, sonship, all coming because of God's glorious grace, it's all been freely given to us, those, those who are in Christ. All of this freely given to us. So the question that, that needs to be asked as we wrap up is, are you? 
Are you in Christ? And, and if you aren't, I, in, I invite you to come to Christ. To be blessed. And to evidence your choosing. To receive full inheritance at no cost to you. I invite you, I invite you to something that's free to you. What's been done for you. Why, why would you not come to Jesus? You're not here. If you don't know Jesus today, you're not here accidentally, coincidentally. You're here because God's working in you and moving in you. So I invite you to him. I invite you to, to be one of those in Christ. Do you see why our text ends the same way it begins? It calls us to praise. To the praise of his glorious grace. How can we not? How can we not? How can, how can we not praise the Father? How can we not praise the Son through whom the Father works? And all of this is ours. It's all through Christ. And how can we not praise the Spirit who drew, drew us to them? And so I'm going to shut up now. And, and I'm going to pray. And, and then we are going to apply the only instruction our text gives. So let me pray. Father, I, I stand in awe of what we read here. I just stand in absolute awe of it. And the cry of why has is, is been on my mind throughout this whole week. Why? Why would you? Why would you? Well, we do see the answer because, because of your son, and the work of your son. And because it leads to praise. The, the praise of your grace. Because it depicts who you are. A gracious God. That's why. That's why. Because it makes much of you. And, and it fleshes out your love. And the power you have over evil. so that's why, for your honor, for your glory, and we benefit. When we've been there 10 billion years, we've no less days. 10 billion years receiving this. Immeasurable grace. 10 billion years won't suffice for us to taste how wondrous you are. We love you. We do praise you. Praise you, God and Father. Praise you. Thank you. Bless you. And Jesus, thank you that because of our relationship with you, this is ours. Your work in spirit, thank you for drawing us to the Father. Thank you. And for those here that don't know you, oh, spirit, convict and draw and just do your work. Do your work. Help them see the emptiness of life. Even a life that this world gives them everything they could ever imagine, but it's empty because they don't have the thing that they need most of all, that being you. And I pray that you draw them to you today. 
pray for all of these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen.